Our scripture this morning is James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, this morning we pray that the Holy Spirit would be present with us and would illuminate the truth of the word, um, that you would make yourself known to us through Ryan's words, um, give him power as he speaks um, about our words, and uh, just lead us closer to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we talked about um, having a certain kind of faith. James says, you know, faith with, without works is dead. And he's talking about this, this type of faith that saves, that's, that's sufficient for salvation. And, he, and we go on to talk about that that faith produces a certain type of actions that follow it. And, and this week he picks up, he kind of drills down on that a little bit more. And he talks about some specific types of sins, specifically verbal sins and the power of the tongue, our speech. And, uh, you know, my, my, so my boys are, are playing basketball for the first time this year. Um, and, and it's particularly exciting to me because uh, I'm a Kentucky Wildcat at heart. Go Cats. Uh, and, uh, and I'm ready for basketball season, uh, just like Georgia fans are. And uh, sorry, had to do it. Um, <sighs> some of you aren't going to hear another word I say today. Um, one of, the, one of the biggest lessons I ever learned uh, about the power of words was at the center court line at Emma B. Ward Middle School when I was either 9 or 10 uh, years old. My, my team, uh, the Colonels, uh, were in the playoffs, and sometime during the second half of that uh, game, I was on defense, the game was tight, uh, and I got called for a reach-in foul. Uh, and I, 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 well, I stole the ball, and then I got called for a reach-in foul. And, uh, and so I was pretty livid about the call because I didn't think it was accurate. And so what I did was I, I, I took the ball, and I slammed it down as hard as I could, and I let it go to the ceiling. <laughs> that, that was the first wrong thing I did. The second thing that I did was I looked at the referee, and I looked him right in the eyes, and you said, I said, are you kidding me? That is the worst call I've ever heard before. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. And, uh, and, of course, he did this technical foul, and then the, my coach pulled me out of the game, and, uh, and, and, and they shot the free throws. They won the game. Uh, we lost. Our season was over. 
And if that wasn't bad enough, there was probably about 150 people in the room uh, because it was the playoffs. Fast forward three years later, I tried out for the high school baseball team when I was in eighth grade. And, and you know, you're taking a little batting practice. The coaches are watching you. You're grounding, f- uh, fielding some ground balls, and they're just kind of checking out your skills. And, and the way that they determined whether you made the team or not is they would bring you in, and the coach would meet with you in his office. And I hadn't met the head coach before. The assistant coaches were doing the drills with us. And so the, the head coach invites me in. And uh, as soon as I walk into the door, I immediately recognize this guy. It was the referee of the basketball game. And then I'm like thinking, oh, goodness, this is not good. Um, and I, then, I, then I'm thinking, oh, you know what? He's not going to remember me. I was, I was the fifth grader. It was three years ago. I'm, I'm cool. I walk in. He says, have a seat. And he says, well, I'd, I'd like to invite you onto the baseball team with one condition. He said, if you ever talk to me like you did three years ago, you're immediately off the team. And so I was quiet as a mouse. You know, yeah, coach, you got it. You know, Our words have power, and they have staying effect, even for little kids, right? You can think about some situations in in, uh, your life where your words have had staying power or others have had words that they've said to you that have greatly impacted you. And that's why our big idea surrounding what James has said in in, in his word, in God's word, is this, that our words can either build or destroy the kingdom of God. So here's where we're going today, just kind of three big points that we want to make. The first one is this, the words we say reveal who we have become. The second one is this, the words we say have the potential to destroy the work of God. And the third one is this, when our words pass through the blood of Christ, we can build his kingdom. So let's dig into uh, the, the first point here. The words we say reveal who we've become. Here's what James says in James 3, 1 through 2. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those uh, uh, that teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. So I want you to just pause for a second, because words have had an impact on your life, and they are affecting the outcome of your life, whether you know it or, or not. Um, we did this as a staff team this week over staff meeting. We look at the text that we're preaching on, and, 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 and we just asked this question, what are the words that kind of melt you and kind of cut you to the heart or that make you kind of vehemently angry and boiling on the inside? What, what are they to you, and where did they come from? And, and I think about the moments uh, that melt me. It's the moments that, you know, my kids uh, called me daddy or told me that they, they loved me or, you know, well, all of them except for Maggie because she calls me Ryan because she's Maggie, but... Uh, you know, th- those moments, they just melt you, and, and they're, they're beautiful. Uh, or the words that uh, have been said to you that absolutely have crushed you and, and, and helped kind of determine who you've become because you took them to heart. You, you know, on the playground as a kid, we had these little sayings, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but you were you at Apple Street Elementary School, too. That's great to hear. Um, or, 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 or my, my personal favorite, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever, I, whatever you say bounces off me and it sticks to you. You know, as much as I would like to tell you that those trite little sayings are effective and true, they're simply lies. They're, and James says that, that they're, that they're lies, that words have real power in our lives. And, and, and as a staff team, we just kind of went around the room and, and talked about it. And, and we just talked about kind of those kind of statements that have identified who we've become. 
You know, for you it might be words like, phrases like, oh, you're such a spaz. You know, you're chubby, you're a nerd, I hate you, you're not good enough, you talk too much, you always blank. Or even more personally, you have no business planting a church. That's what a guy told me one time. Really cut me to the heart. And those, those words, church, that are spoken are grown out of the, 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 the soil of the human heart, and when they're heard and believed, they are embodied and lived out. Tim Keller once said this, he said, words create reality, often more lasting and significant than the physical reality. That's true for all of us. So think about those phrases, those words that you can't shake, that you've embodied, that have somewhat determined the direction of your life, because Jesus Christ has the final word over our lives. And he speaks a better word over us. And we can take those to him. That's one side of this today. The other side of this is the words that have flown out of our mouths. And this is what James is addressing more than anything else. And this is why, really, James starts with with teachers. It's like Evan was talking about earlier. You have the power to, to build up. You have the power to tear down as a teacher, especially a teacher in the church or a teacher in general. In fact, I bet I could, I bet I could ask you who the most influential people in your life would be, to name the top ten, and I bet you at least one of them would be a teacher. Am I right? They were the ones that helped you decide what vocation or profession you would go into. They were the ones that helped you finally get that cursive Z down, you know. Whatever it is for you, teachers are influential, and so James addresses them first. He says, not many of you should be teachers because teachers are going to be judged more strictly. Now, he's talking about a rabbi, a, a, a Jewish teacher, and um, in, in, in Jewish culture, it was, a, it was a prized vocation to be considered a rabbi. That's what was such a huge deal for Jesus' disciples to drop their nets and to follow him when, when that rabbi came to them and said, would you follow me? Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Now, today it's not so much the same. I, I don't meet a lot of people that say, man, I just can't wait to grow up and be a preacher. Okay, I, I just don't meet a lot of people. In fact, when I roam the, the halls of Richards Middle School when I'm here during the day, you know what I hear? I can't wait to grow up and play in the NBA. Now, I know I can't make a free throw, but I'm still going to play in the NBA. I mean, that, 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 the, the prize vocations are different, but they were, they were, they were, they were certainly different. They were, this idea of a teacher was something that every Jewish little boy wanted to be in this culture. And, and a teacher of the word is a servant of the, of the word with, a, with, a, with a, a large and burdensome task. And, and frankly, it's, it's, it's challenging. And I, I, I even shudder to read these words because, you know, that I'm judged more harshly, more strictly. I'm, I'm not sure how that completely shakes out at Judgment Day, but I know that God's word says it. That those who teach the word of God are judged more strictly. Because the words that I say represent what God says. And if I get that wrong and I lead you astray, some of that blood's on my hands is what he's saying. My call uh, to ministry began uh, with being thrusted into a role as a youth pastor, I kid you not, as a senior in high school. Okay, so there was this small little Baptist church called Fellowship Church out on Hammonds Creek Road in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, that said, hey, we want you to be our youth pastor. I've been a Christian for like three years, four years maybe. And they said, we think you would be great. And so, um, and so I, I kid you not, I coached the church league basketball team and I played on it at the same time. It's not a lie. This is how we did things in Kentucky, all right? And so, uh, 
you know, I spent a year there doing that, uh, and I, I spent, a year was a little too long because I realized how much I did not know about teaching God's Word. I realized how many people's kids I was probably messing up. And so at the end of that year, it, it was kind of beautiful because God in his grace, there was this kid named Justin that came to faith and was being discipled, and, and he, was a, he was a great kid. But at the end of that year, I knew that I needed to get more training if I was going to teach God's Word effectively uh, and, and, uh, and have lasting fruit because I didn't know what I was doing. But, but that role, all that to say that the role is weighty, and it's important. And I think it extends from more than the person in the pulpit, but also the person that has influence in teaching the Word, whether it be in a, in a, in a kid's Sunday morning New City Kids class or a, a missional community or even a discipleship group, that, that this is something we ought not to take lightly because words matter that much. And they have the potential to either build the kingdom of God and build people up or tear people down and destroy the work of God. And, and the, the other thing about this is that it's... It's not just the words that are said when you want people to hear them that matter. It's all of the words that you say that come into account as someone that's in authority in a church or someone's in authority as a teacher of God's Word. But then he, he goes from the teacher, and then he goes and he, he extends this to all of us, which I'm so thankful for that you guys can share in the pain of James 3 this morning. He says, we all stumble in many ways. And to say that you do not stumble is to say you're a perfect, perfect man that he's able to, uh, to bridle his whole body, James says. And basically what he's saying is you're a liar because there's no way that you can do that. You can't bridle your tongue. You can't control it. You see, the Pharisees knew God's word, but they didn't practice God's word. They had, like we talked about last week, what we call dead orthodoxy. Knew all the right things, lived all the wrong ways. And because of that, Jesus once encountered them, and they were giving them a hard time like they loved to do. And Jesus said this to them, you brood of vipers, starts out pretty light, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You need to underline that, Matthew 12. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here's what that means, is that you know those moments when you say, I didn't mean to say that. That means that that's a lie. What you mean is that you didn't mean to get caught saying that. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the heart is like a megaphone, and an, or the, the mouth is like an uh, uh, amplifier of your heart. That, that's what he says there. And he goes on to talk about the roots of where those words come from. He says, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Let that settle. People will give an account for every single careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So that means whenever I was in seventh grade, and I thought it, I took the, the low road instead of the high road, when all my buddies were making fun of Mindy Hagen in seventh grade, and I chose to chime on in and, uh, and to make fun of her as an image bearer of God, I used careless words. 
And, and I'm going to have to answer for those words because Jesus says that you're going to be justified by your words. Now, I'm going to get to Jesus and his forgiveness and grace in a minute, but I don't want to blow through the impact of words. What are those words for you that you've spoken that you just wish you could catch them as they came out, right? What are those for you? I want you to think about those this morning. I want those to confront you because I don't want you to be surprised when you have to answer for them. That's what Jesus says, that you're going to be justified by those words that you've spoken, even the careless comments that haunt you this morning. Is it what you said to your dad when he disciplined you kids? I told my mom I hated her once, and like I was, gosh, man, it just crushed her. And I was like, man, what was I thinking? And some of you are saying, why, you only did that once? You know, um, is it, um, what, what is it for you? You know, there's nothing more confronting and convicting as a parent than when you see your children and you see your sin in your children. You know what I'm talking about? Like a, like a sarcastic or judgmental thought that comes out of their mouths. And you think, oh, where did that come from? Oh, that came from me. I taught them that. There's nothing more convicting than that. Now, James, I, I wish I could tell you that James just kind of stops there and he goes on to something more fun to talk about. But he thinks it's necessary for us to, to drill down a little bit deeper. So he, he wants to give us some object lessons and metaphors that will help us understand the, uh, the, the, the power and the depth and the danger of our words. So, so let's dig into to verses uh, 3 through 12 here in James chapter 3. Our words have the potential um, to destroy God's work in the world. So the first thing he talks about is verses 3 through 5. He talks about this idea that your words have disproportionate potential to destroy the kingdom of God. Meaning, they are something so small that causes so much harm. They're disproportionate in their effect. Listen to the two examples he uses. He, uses, he talks about a horse and a bit in a horse's mouth and a ship and the rudder that, that guides it. He says this, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue's a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So though your tongue is small, it has the potential to produce huge damage in the kingdom of God. What, what, what's that saying? Hurt people. Hurt people, you heard that one before? Yeah, that's what he's saying here. Is, is that if you've got hurt in your life, you're probably, it's probably going to come out and you're going to hurt other people. And that, and that can cause great damage. A bit and a rudder, something, I mean, if I were to show you how big a bit is, it's really tiny. And a horse, what do they weigh, like 1,400 pounds, 1,500 pounds? This little bitty thing can control it. Just like that little three-ounce piece of protein lodged in between your teeth can, can di direct your entire body. That's what he's saying. It has the power to do that. That, that. that careless words that are not controlled by the Spirit will direct the outcome of your life. That's what he's saying. That's powerful, isn't it? We've said from, from day one at New City Church that, that we know kind of exactly how Satan could sink this ship. You know what it would be through? It wouldn't be through something, you know, big and explosive. It would be through the trickle of our words of gossip. I'll never forget the first Sunday that we had over, well, as the crow flies 100 yards that way in the cafeteria. Uh, 
I remember after the service meeting some people, and and they were uh, they were new, and I was you know we were like, man, we want you to be a part of New City, and then they immediately started gossiping about the church they came from, and man, it just it just hit me, and so I just kind of let it go for a second, and then I thought, you know what, if this starts today, it will never end, and so I gently came up to them after everyone had left, and I just said, hey, like we can't we can't do that here, and they seemed to receive it well, and they they never came again. Um, the, mission, the mission is too critical for us to be sloppy with our words. It's not just gossip. It's, it's slander. It's, it's divisiveness. It's, 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 it's whatever would divide God's kingdom and tear it down and destroy others. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, my friend Danny. Uh, Danny is a, uh, uh, he's a military chaplain in the Army, and he was telling me about the effect of uh, of what could take down a tank, and I, you know, I, I didn't really know. He's like, do, do you know what could take down a tank? And I was expecting it to be like a, like a rocket launcher or something, like something huge. And he says, and he held up this little piece of concertina wire, which is like razor wire. He says, this is what can take down a tank. And he was talking about James three, and he said, he said, this is, this is what James is saying is the same thing can take down us. The words that we say, something that seems like it can never take you down, a thought that you had a passing comment. It's uncontrollable. So James goes on to, to talk about not only the, the disproportionate power of the tongue, but he talks about the uncontrollable nature and potential of the tongue. And he, he uses this example of the fire, and he talks about the zoo, taming animals, right? Here's what he says. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on a fire by hell itself. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Probably the most disheartening of all, right? It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I don't think you could speak more strongly about the impact of words. Have you ever, because I'm familiar, have you ever lit something on fire by accident before? Anybody? Bradford, raise your hand. I know you have. Um, (laughs) I have. It was recently, not this year, but a couple years ago, I had one of those turkey fryers, okay? And um, I was smart enough to not put it in the garage but not smart enough to not put it in the yard, okay? So, uh, you know, it, put it in, it overflows a little bit, and my grass is on fire. It's, it's dry as can be, right? It's dormant, you know, Bermuda grass, and it is burning a huge, you know, spot in my yard. And for the rest of the winter, my friends would come over and see the big black spot because the grass wasn't growing. And so that was some of you making fun of me as well. And, you know, uh, but, but here's one thing about fire is that once it gets going under the right conditions, it cannot be stopped. I mean, have you ever wondered uh, why thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of acres burn every single year in California, in the Pacific Northwest? You ever, you ever wondered why that could happen? I mean, can they just get a little smarter? Well, the conditions are so dry that they, I even read... Uh, how these fires start, right? Because you're thinking, okay, people are being reckless, they're having bonfires. No, there was one guy that was hammering in a staple to a fence post, and it caused a spark, and it lit thousands of acres on fire. 
James is saying, listen church, it's always wildfire season in this world. There's always the potential for your word to set someone on fire. To set a situation on fire. And you know what happens? You can't control it. You have no control of where it burns once it comes out of your mouth. Once it gets going, it's hard to know where it began and how to stop it because it moves so fast. Now, the word that's used for hell here is this word Gehenna. Say that with me. Gehenna. Very good. Gehenna is a valley just outside of Jerusalem. And it was, a, it was a place where pagan sacrifices were made and some of the most evil practices in history took place. Now later on it became a landfill. So trash would be taken there and, uh, and that trash, because it grew to be so tall and smelled so bad, they would begin to burn. And that, that landfill, that burning trash on the landfill was like a, it just burned a year round, night and day, and you could see it from afar. And, and, and Gehenna be, began to be associated with hell because that's what people, it was like an illustration of what hell would be like. Burning trash, burning sin all day long that never, ever, ever ends. Let that image set with you. Jesus, Jesus would say that hell will be similar, right? The weeping and gnashing of teeth. We don't get this idea that it ever stops. There's no such thing as annihilationism. Where, where hell ends. And so he uses that phrase, that picture, that word to talk about the impact of our words. James is saying, and don't miss this, that with our words, it's possible to reach down to the pit of hell and set our Christian brothers and sisters on fire with our words. That's what he's saying. He's talking to the church. Have you ever thought about the impact of that? That it's possible to reach down to the pit of hell and set people on fire with your words. That's the impact and the extent and the potential of what lives inside of you. And the worst thing is this, is you can't do anything to stop it. You have no control over it. He talks about the kind of the duplicitous nature of the tongue. And, you know, with, out of the same mouth come blessing and, and, and cursing. It, it's like, and, and, and not understanding that is, is like trying to get fresh water out of a salt pond. It just won't happen. And so the question is, what are we going to do about this? We can't control it. What hope do we have? If you have a Bible, I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Because we, we trust the Scriptures to be a complete narrative that helps us interpret other Scriptures. If we can't tame the tongue, who can? I'm happy to tell you that Jesus Christ can. That He has that power in our lives now, now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it won't require some effort on your behalf. In fact, God's grace works in us to such a degree that it, it, it completes us, it sanctifies us as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he makes us new. But here's the hope we have from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. Now, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the kingdom of God, and he's, he calls it an unshakable kingdom, something that can never be destroyed. He's talking about... The, the kingdom of God, the way that uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible describes the kingdom of God is everywhere Jesus is king, okay? It's really simple, very profound. Everywhere Jesus is king. So the kingdom of God can come here and today. It won't come fully. That, will, that won't happen until sin is eradicated. This, 
judgment when Jesus comes back. But the kingdom of God can come in glimpses today through his people. And so here's what he says about this kingdom of God that comes. He says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. He's, he's painting this magnificent picture of what this unshakable kingdom is going to be like. And at the center piece, the, the throne is God. And he says, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant into the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, he's using some Old Testament language here where he talks about Jesus being the mediator of a new covenant, meaning this, is that the, the, the covenant is that God will be our God and we'll be his people. The problem is, is that none of us can keep our end of the bargain, that God has to keep it for us, and the tongue is just another evidence that we can't keep it. Not even the lifestyle of a Trappist monk will lead you to not sin with your mouth. That's what he's saying is that there's nothing you can do. You have to have another mediator who speaks a better word than you could ever speak for yourself to others. That Jesus mediates that new covenant. The fact that God has written his word on our hearts. We couldn't get to him. We couldn't keep it. So he came and he, he wrote his word on our hearts. And he sent Jesus to secure the promise through the resurrection. And it's Jesus' blood that now speaks for our sin. Not the blood of, of, of the, the, the placeholder blood of, of goats and, and sheep that would be slaughtered. No, no, no. It's Jesus' blood that speaks the final word. Read the book of Hebrews. There's blood all over it. It's because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's what Hebrews says. And what he says right here is that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So who is Abel? Well, Abel was uh, Adam and Eve's son, one of them. The other one was Cain. Cain got, Genesis 4, Cain got jealous of Abel because his, his sacrifice was received and praised. And, and so he took matters into his own hands instead of confessing his sin and, and his sorrow that, that he wasn't as good as his other brother, he killed his brother. And then God comes to, to Cain, and he, and he says, your, the blood of your brother cries out from the ground. And, and from that, we begin to see the history of injustice in the world, right? Blood crying out from the ground, unfinished redemption all around us. It won't take you long to think about all of the ways that you long for justice in this world, amen? It won't take you long to think about that. Hebrews chapter 12 is acknowledging that reality. It's acknowledging the fact that there's many things that are undone, left undone. And many of them have been caused by words that have been said for hurt people who have, who have had injustice done to them, and so they've responded and they've lashed out and they've taken vengeance into their own hands. Well, the blood of Abel hadn't been avenged. That's what the writer was saying, Moses was saying in Genesis. But Hebrews 12 spins it differently. He says that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of than the blood of vengeance, the attitude of vengeance, the words of vengeance. Jesus' blood is finished and final. And it speaks for us. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Someone assumes something about us that's not true. Someone spreads a lie in justice. You know it. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Many times my tongue, when it's not tamed by the Holy Spirit, unleashes hell 
on others. And you do the same. And it, it was, it, it's done the same throughout history. And it will continue to do the same unless, church, and this is the main thing, let, we let our words flow through the perfected blood of Christ that speak a better word for us. So what I want to do now is I just want to share a few things on a person uh, that would be characteristic of a person that lets their words flow through the blood before they come out of their mouth. All right, let's dig into that real quick. The first thing is this. You have to have an awareness of your own propensity to set people on fire with your words. You have to. If you're not convinced from James 3, I don't know how you could be convinced. I mean, the Holy Spirit will have to do that. But you can set people on fire with your words. If you don't understand that, you'll never look for God's grace. You'll never slow down. You'll be irrational and light people on fire all day long. You know the type of people I'm talking about. The people that are so reckless that you just don't know what's going to come out of their mouth. James says, brothers, this should not be so. This is not the way Christians live. This is not the way the church is built up and edified. You have to be aware that you can do that. And we've said a new city that will require humility. And the way that we've defined humility is this, as a church, is, is that whenever we see something that is just like so preposterous, something that drives us so insane, that we, we pause and we say, you know what, I wouldn't put it past me, I could do the same thing. You see how that's different? You see how that changes the way that you see other people? That's the attitude that we have to have when we think about our sin, especially with our tongue. I wouldn't put it past me, I could say the same thing. In fact, I thought it, it just didn't come out, Right? Second thing is this, once you see your own propensity to set people on fire, you've got to run to Jesus and let his blood cover your sin. And what I mean by let is this, we have to be needy for God's grace. We have to be needy for God's redemption. We, can, we cannot feel bad because we have to repent of our sin because Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. So when we see our own propensity to set people on fire and we remember that Jesus' blood has spoken a better word, then we run to Jesus and we say, Jesus, please control these thoughts because they are out of control. I don't want these to leave my, my heart and come out through my mouth. Your blood's got to cover them. Your blood's got to work on my behalf. And then once you get to that place, when you realize that it's impossible for you to tame your tongue, he says, James 1.19, be quicker to listen and slower to speak. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. People that talk quick sin more. That's gospel right there. You talk fast, you sin more, I promise. I'll even go on to say this, you talk a lot, you probably sin a lot. Okay? Because there needs to be, how do I say this, um, a gospel hesitation before we speak, right? Do you know what I mean by that? It's just a pause. Is this building others up? Is this edifying? What if my kids heard me say this? I don't know what it is for you. But, but a hesitation, a pause where we say, okay, this has to flow through the blood before it comes out of my mouth because if it doesn't, I'm going to set people on fire. A gospel hesitation where we, where we let our words pass through the blood before they come out of our mouths. I can't tell you how many times... I've been texting someone, and I thought, I'm texting this. This could come across bad, but I'm going to send it anyway, right? Or how many times the Holy Spirit stopped me and said, you know what, that's sarcastic tone. Why don't you just delete that? I think it would be more edifying. 
Or that email that you're, you're firing away and your keyboard's flaming, right? I mean, you're just going after it. To just put that in the drafts folder instead of letting it go, right? To just stop. That, that, that heated moment where someone's really hurt you and you're, you see them for the first time and you want to run away and shun them or run at them and grab their neck and choke them, whatever it is for you, to just pause and just stop and just pray and let the blood cover you so that the blood can cover your words. So many times we just need to stop and write stuff down and not say it. Because when you read something you've written down, instead of saying it, you say, ooh. You know, the, the average person this is average. Some of you might speak a lot more, a lot less. Average person says enough words in a day to write a 50-page book with it. That's a lot of pages over the course of a year. Imagine if you were to read back through the things that you've said today or tomorrow or yesterday and to think back at the end of the day if, uh, if, the, if the blood, if those words pass through the blood or not. One, I, I bet there'd probably be less words And they'd be more edifying words if we thought about our words that way. And Jesus says, you're going to be held accountable for every careless word you speak. Now, here's the thing. Because of the gospel, Jesus' blood speaks the final and better word for us. But our words have consequences. I'm not saying that it's going to be, you know, a choice between you being with Jesus forever and you going to to eternity apart from him forever. I'm I'm not saying that. I'm not going there with that. But I'm just saying that you're going to be held accountable is what Jesus says. For the careless words that you speak. And you'll be, he said, justified by it. So maybe it does mean that a little bit. The words that you speak. So has Jesus' word spoken? And then fourth is last thing right here. Refuse to tear down people with your words. Megan and I were talking this week. And, and, uh, and she was like, yeah, you know, we need God's grace to empower us to do all this. But sometimes we just need to stop. We just need to, we just need to close our mouths. We just got to stop. You just got to put the, the brakes on. I mean, have you ever been in a conversation and, and you say, um, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but, or, uh, or pardon my language, but, or don't tell anyone else this, but that is your clue. Okay, let me just say this. Just stop. But most of the time, what do we do? We treat it like a light that has turned from yellow to red, right? We just punch the gas, right? We just go straight on through it. What would it look like for the Holy Spirit to, to, to cause you to slam on the brakes whenever you realize you're about to jump into something that you can't control? What would it look like? Paul agrees. He, he would say this when he's talking about the new life in Christ in Ephesians 4. He says, let no, not some, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So he's saying this, if what is coming out of my mouth is not extending grace to the world, it shouldn't come out. If what I'm saying is corrupting and tearing down others, it shouldn't come out. If what I'm saying is not building other people up, it shouldn't come out. So let me tell you what that's going to look like if you really put this into practice. You're going to start some conversations and you're going to have a decision to make when you get about halfway into it, when you realize where you're going. And you're going to have to make an awkward transition. And sometimes you might have to say, you know what, I was going to say something that's not appropriate, so I'm just going to switch gears here. And that's kind of awkward, right? But it's better than letting it come out. Because grace has a way of training us in it. We grow in it as we extend grace to others when we speak words. Because with your tongue, you have the power, church, and don't miss this, to build the kingdom or destroy it. 
What are you doing with it today? Let's pray. Our Father, uh, is my dream and hope that New City Church would be the most edifying and encouraging church that any of us have ever been a part of. Father, it is my, it is my prayer that we would choose to edify and extend grace and to speak well of others instead of being cynical and sarcastic and short-tempered and, and gossiping with our words. God, would you give us the grace and the strength to build people up instead of set them on fire? Lord, we need your help. We cannot do this alone. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to direct and define our hearts and our words and shape us. Lord, we just long for you to shape us more into the image of Jesus as we seek your face. So Lord, as we're even thinking about the people, the conversations where we have reached down to the pit of hell and set our friends and our loved ones on fire with our words, would you comfort us? And would you comfort us through convicting us and showing us that Jesus' word is better? That we are not defined by the words that we've believed about us or we've spoken to others. We're defined by the blood alone. And so Jesus, would your blood flow freely to your saints this morning? It's in his name we pray. Amen.